Welcome. My name is Gina Timberman, and you are listening to Timber People, a podcast about people who, like timber, are strong, build and create, who gather us together like fuel that feeds fire. People who support structures of our community that uplift and protect. Hello, I'm really excited to welcome today my new friend, Lawrence Holtberg. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, it's uh, surprising to me that we haven't met before. We have crossed paths undoubtedly in the community, and I was really interested to learn your story. And thank you so much for the tour of your gallery space and sharing your collection of art with me, as well as your aspirations for your next steps in your career, and also about the journey that you've been on for many years. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm glad you came by. We like to open the studio up several times a year uh, for uh, guests, you know, both friends and their friends to come and see what's up in the studio. And uh, we have sales so people can come and buy things. And, uh, and, you know, in addition to my own artwork, of course, I have artwork from all over the world because I was a tribal art dealer for many years and also had a contemporary art gallery in San Francisco. So I have a, quite a large collection of contemporary art. And so you can find all kinds of treasures in my studio. You know, I was really struck by the um, diverse representation of art, the diversity of your experiences. You've lived in different cities. You've been in Oklahoma City, what is it, about 15 years now? Mm, well, no, I've lived here about five years. Oh, about five but years. I've been coming here for about 15 okay, years. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. This is where my partner, so she's born and raised. Oh, right. So we would come and visit family and stuff for holidays and things like that. And then... She wanted to move back, and so then we ended up moving back here. I always love knowing people that are from Oklahoma. I really love meeting people that have had this journey in other cities around the country and then come here to share your experiences with us. And I know you've had a presence on the East Coast and the West Coast with San Francisco and in New York. And um, before we dive into your artwork, uh, you are a part of a heritage of art with your family and with the representation of your work with your father, your mother, and your personal story is really interesting. I'd like the listeners to hear a little bit about you and um, how your artwork has evolved as that part of that heritage. Yeah, um, well, I grew up in New York. I was born in Brooklyn, but my parents moved when I was three to a, um, an artist community in Stony Point, New York, called the Gate Hill Co-op. And it was uh, 116 acres on the side of a mountain with waterfall running down for, as a child, was paradise. Um, but there was um, people who were originally involved in a school called Black Mountain College in um, North Carolina, which was a very avant-garde uh, group of people. Uh, that included people like John Cage, who was an author and poet and um, composer, and uh, people like Buckminster Fuller, the, and uh, just just very interesting artists. And so those people, when that when when Black Mountain College ended, uh, a lot of those people moved up to this Gate, this Gate Hill Co-op community. And so my family was the second family to move to that piece of property and build a home. And the homes were all what I call low-tech modern. So it was all very modern, like a, like mid-century modern, 50s style. Uh, so we moved there when uh, in 1956. 
and but very low tech materials. So kind right. of like funky things that you would wouldn't think of normally as building materials. And and it was in the middle of this beautiful piece of property with all kinds of wildlife, which for me was spectacular because I would be in that creek all day long with this crayfish and picking up rocks to see what's underneath the rocks. And, you know, I love, loved uh, snakes and, and turtles and reptiles and all those things. So, um, but the, the, there were a lot of interesting artists. And um, for instance, uh, Mark DeSuvero, who's a very well-known sculptor now, American sculptor, uh, made sculptures, they're kinetic sculptures that spun around. He made them for us kids to play on. They were like, they were like, now they're, of course, they've been taken and they're in museums right, right. and they're chained down. You can't even spin them in the museums. Um, uh, John Chamberlain, a very well-known American uh, sculptor, made uh, automobile part uh, sculptures. Very, very successful. Uh, he was, I used to babysit for his kids. And so I would watch him make it. And he, he's, his work really uh, influenced me a lot. Even my photography work, which I take of like dented metal stuff and you know, remind you of his uh, automobile sculptures, right. you know, because it was very influential on me. Um, when I was 12 years old, uh, de Kooning asked me if I'd clean up in his studio. Uh, and now I was a smart-ass little kid, and we were sitting in the Cedar Tavern where a lot of the beatniks hung out. Right. I was with my mother, and I was sitting at the table with with uh, Willem de Kooning. And uh, so as soon as he said, well, you can help me clean up the studio, I said, yeah, sure. How much are you going to pay me? <laughs> So you've always been a businessman. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was more of a smart ass because he ended up throwing a beer can at me as my mom dragged me out of the, of the bar. But, um, you know, I mean, I grew up around all these, I mean, very famous people, Rauschenberg, uh, um, you know, Jasper Johns, all these people are all good friends of my family. But and obviously their art had some influence on me. But to me, it was a lot of them were just kind of drunks or, you know, they weren't, you know, I mean, I was just a kid, you know right. what I mean? So, but obviously they had a lot of uh, effect and, and my father being a, being a very talented artist, uh, a multidiscipline artist, um, and who taught my mother to paint when she was 50 and she's still alive at 93 and she's still creating art. Which is incredible. <laughs> you have great genes. <laughs> so but my father, uh, he was a printmaker and he was a, a painter and uh, but he he became known for his large architectural murals uh, of uh, fused porcelain enamel on copper and steel, kind of abstract expressionism work, expressionist work, and uh, uh, but large architectural pieces. And so the, nobody worked on that scale with enamels. People had always thought of enamels as little jewel-like things, you know, small things that could fit in a kiln. Well, he developed an open-air firing methodology a contraption that he built that could literally uh, uh, fuse, you know, large sheets of copper with the metal, uh, with, the, with, I mean, with the um, with the glass on top and fuse it together. And then he put these panels together and to make even larger pieces. And so this is what he became known for. But he uh, kind of packed that up in the 80s and uh, he had become an art professor and he was teaching and painting and he, he stopped the enamels and um, when I went back, when my parents moved to the south of France in their 80s, can you imagine that, picking up in your 80s <laughs> and moving to the south of France? Um, I had to go back to New York. You know, I was from California. I had to go back to New York and help them with the property. And, I, of course, I discovered my father's huge body of work, which I was aware of, but hadn't been thinking that much right. about it. And this large body of work is just sitting there, uh, you know, unseen. 
Mm-hmm. And so I kind of took it upon myself to um, conserve the body of work and to start uh, arranging to do exhibits of the work and get museums interested in it. We've had lots of articles written since that time, had a major show with a catalog in Philadelphia and having some upcoming things as well. In fact, we're doing a show here in Oklahoma City at 1515 Gallery. Uh, we're going to do a show of my paintings and my father's enamels. And so that's coming up in uh, the end of December and, and January. That's fantastic. The materials you've, you've used, um, the diversity of your artwork and your family's artwork, and from photography to the mandalas to the painting, um, you know, being in your gallery in your place was like I'm feeling like a kid in a candy store. You have jewelry and beads and rave flyers and artwork and just um, beautiful kimonos. And it, it was really great. It's really great. Well, you know, being a baby boomer, I was around for the whole rock concert uh, poster thing, you know, right. the Fillmore posters and all that stuff. And so that was very collectible from my era. Um, but I also happened to be living in San Francisco during the whole rave movement. Right. And so because I had businesses on Haight Street in San Francisco, uh, that's where a lot of the rave flyers would get dropped off. And what I noticed about them is that this was a new genre of art. This was a completely new you know, type of, you know, expression. And so I started collecting them. And, uh, of course, being in that neighborhood where a lot of them were dropped off, I would go around afterwards when the rave was over. Like it was, they didn't need the yeah. flyer anymore. And I would collect the stacks. How smart. Yeah. So I've <laughs> now got probably 20,000, 30,000 of these things. Incredible. Uh, yeah. They need, uh, they need uh, some young person who wants to come along and help me maybe get them organized and start putting them up on eBay <laughs> for sale. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. And anyway, there's... I started a Facebook group. It's now got about 1,200 members that are from all over the world that collect rave flyers and stuff. It's incredible. You know, um, I think about everything that you're doing with the exhibitions, with your, um, you know, with your show, with your interests. We talked about your different um, sites or the Facebook pages that yeah. you have. And even that alone, managing that and the dialogue and the sharing your interests and your work that's really great. It's super cool. Well, the most recent one is Happenstantial Art, because when my father passed away, I was going through his notebooks, and I found on a page, in quotes, Happenstantial Art. Mm-hmm. And I, so I did a search on the internet for that term to see if it was, it was used anywhere. I couldn't find it anywhere. No social media at all. So I went and got the URL, happenstantialart.com, and I started a Facebook group in that name, and I did the first hashtag with Happenstantial Art now has 10,000 members from all over the world That's who are great. posting daily. They each get to post three three posts a day. They can do up to four images per post. Right. And so they're just, just people just love this page. It just, I don't know, it's just, it's really found a home there. And so now I'm getting ready. I'm thinking about doing a website for the Happenstantial Art and inviting some of those artists uh, who are posting from all over the world to allow me to reproduce some of those images and prints and provide them through the website. That's really great. You know, something we talked about, you know, looking days ago at your LinkedIn and everything is your desire to collaborate with people, um, whether it's with the prints, whether it is with working with other artists. We talked a little bit about a salon experience and engaging in a dialogue 
with um, different artists from, you know, different cultural backgrounds. And, um, you know, I really think it would be great to have you back on the show to engage. And also we talked about doing things outside of the show. And um, that's really great. Yeah, I've had this idea since I've moved here to want to get together with other artists in a salon type of environment, maybe a, a potluck lunch or something like that. Um, we have to figure it out because there's a lot of artists here. Right, I'm really, right. I was very surprised at how many artists live in Oklahoma City. And so, and I've met a lot of them and a lot of very talented people. And so we have to figure it out how to do it. So it's not just chaos, but in a way that maybe we had certain people speaking for that week or that month or whatever amount of time we were going to do it. But yeah, this is something I've, I've loved collaborating and, uh, and just picking other people's brains and also sharing whatever I could have to share that they might benefit from. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I also didn't tell you, you know, I curated a show for the Smithsonian. Oh yeah. Really? Yeah. I had a large collection of Tibetan and Nepalese masks and Bhutanese masks and they hadn't really been exposed before this type of material. I started collecting them in the mid 1970s. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, posed uh, the idea of doing a show with the Smithsonian and they accepted it. And so it, it traveled across the United States and Canada for three years. And it was about 80 masks in the show. Now, they weren't just my collection. I borrowed from other private collections right, and right. from museums. So I got to go into all these old, you know, museum, New York museums, got amazing Tibetan right. stuff and, you know, traveled all over to do that. So that was very exciting. And I don't know if I'd work, you know, with that kind of institution again, because it was had its limitations. But, right. but still, it was, it was very good. Yeah, that's a lot of work. I mean, it takes a big vision and it takes a lot of persistence, really. (laughs) I mean, I have an idea for a singer-songwriter festival here. Yes, we. yeah, Yeah. that would be great. We could start that fairly easily. That that wouldn't be that difficult. There's some amazing singer-songwriters and young, young people, just really, really talented. I mean, it's Oklahoma, and I know some people that, um, you know, would be great artists to you know be engaged in a project like that. But people who are really passionate about Oklahoma's heritage with music and songwriting that would um, love to participate, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's a great it's a great showcase to uh, you know show people that haven't had you know that much exposure. I, uh, I'm thinking back. I'm, I'm one of the founders of the Haight Ashbury Street Fair in San Francisco, right. and so that's been going on for I, don't know, I want to say 45 years now. Um, I was only on the board of directors for 35 years, so I'm not involved with it at all anymore. But um, well, one of the things we did was showcase local talent, mm-hmm. you know, people who had not been exposed. So one year we had a heavy metal band nobody ever heard of it was, uh, called uh, Metallica. <laughs> Why? Did, I knew you were going to say someone like profoundly, you know, popular. For- <laughs> I mean, it was, it's amazing because nobody had heard of them at the time. Right. Well, how did that get started? I mean, it's interesting to me that something can, you know, start or even just a, a band getting together for that matter, very organically, and then just blow up to be something with continuity and be globally known. And um, how did you get involved with that? I know you mentioned you, you know, participated on the board. But yeah, well, we had a, um, we had a, a, a cafe. It started out as a U.S. cafe. It was on Hate Street. And it was, uh, I was the chef in the back and helped create the menu. And we had also started another organization there called Rainbow Grocery, which was a nonprofit um, food co-op owned by all the people that run it. 
And so I was bringing the food from the food co-op to the cafe and helping with that, create the menu and the, and all that. But anyway, the cafe had little shops in front. And one of them was my little, my first shop was little antiques and collectibles. And, but slowly we took away the shops and opened up the cafe into a full-blown nightclub called Shady Grove. Okay, yeah. All right. So Shady Grove was operating for quite a few years. And uh, I mean, the Moby Grape did a live album from there. I mean, it was we had a theater, we had comedy, uh, we had uh, film nights. I mean, it was just a very popular place right in the heart of San Francisco in the Haight-Ashbury. And out of there um, grew, uh, it was at one of the meetings, uh, neighborhood meetings, somebody mentioned wanting to do a street fair. And to be quite frank, no, none of us wanted that person to do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. So <laughs> we all got together on the side and said, you know what, we better hurry up and get this street fair together. Otherwise, that guy's going to yeah, do something. Yeah. And anyway, so we went, we, we, we did the first Haight-Ashbury street fair. And it was, it was, it was really amazing. And uh, we had a party after party words afterwards at the, our club. And Dr. John was on the piano. Oh, cool. I mean, it was all kinds of interesting people came yeah. through. Um, the guy that did this, original sound for our street fair uh, was did the sound for the Grateful Dead and uh, Kevin who was part of our group he ended up he doing the sound after that for the few years he ended up uh, as Carlos Santana's road manager and then ended up being his manager for right. many many years so I mean you know the people all went out and did their things from there but the street fair is still going there's a you know younger uh, group of people now taking care of it and we've moved on and right uh, yeah. You know, that's magic when you have especially food, festival, fun, you add music to that. Like that's the important stuff that really makes magic. We actually had three stages in the beginning. We had to remove the middle stage because there were so many people on the street. Mm -hmm. It was congesting. The, I mean, we get 60,000 people in, in one day in six blocks. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty crowded. Yeah. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed and appreciated Oklahoma City having more experiences um, like that of gathering, um, place making with art and music and food festival. I think it's it's really special. I think it's it's wide open here. I mean, they do some nice free concerts. You know, the, they've been doing them in uh, Scissortail Park. They did some nice concerts, and uh, in fact. I like to videotape when I go right. performances. I have a YouTube channel. I'm a beneficiary of watching your YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I, so anywhere I go where I see good music, I whip out the iPhone and, yeah. you know, and I'm videotaping. And if I can videotape the entire concert, I will. And, uh, you know, it gets a little sore on the shoulders, but, you know, right. on the arms, right. holding your arms up for so long. But uh, it's funny. I, I, I was thinking back, we, we shot, um, I don't know if you know who... Uh, Chet Helms was, but he had the the, the uh, Avalon Ballroom in San Francisco, and he was the alternative to Bill Graham Presents. Bill BGP was the rock on, you know, uh, impresario that did all the major concerts, and he knew everybody. I mean, he was just amazing. He had the Fillmore East, the Fillmore West, he had the Kabuki Theater, he had the the, the uh, just all the major venues. Right. And so his main competition was this kind of hippie guy, wasn't so businesslike, named Chet Helms. <laughs> and Chet and I became friends later in life, and because he was also an art dealer. And but he, uh, one of his last hurrahs was this big, uh, major concert he did down in, uh, in, um, uh, where was it? It was in California. But we went and videotaped it, and so we had everybody from The Clash, Peter Tosh, Can't Heat. 
Uh, I mean, just, I mean, you know, it was just like a, a who's who, you know, and yeah. we videotaped the whole thing. And I just remember how difficult it was with the big cameras back then. It wasn't just my little iPhone holding right, right. it. was the big cameras on the shoulders. And so holding your arms up for three days, yeah, you know, right. and then <laughs> when you put them down, they just want to float back up again. Right. <laughs> so that reminded me of that. But um, yeah, that was, so anyway, I always enjoyed videotaping and documenting things. I love to document things. That's important. It's about storytelling. You're a great storyteller, you know, hearing about um, your father and your mother. I mean, hearing about your experiences. And this podcast is Timber People. It's um, really about, you know, people are doing really cool things, you know, essentially, and um, supporting the community and serving others and really um, uplifting values that connect people. Something that I was really drawn to about um, how you speak about yourself is, I am moved to action in the service of others, working projects that bring value to people's lives. I envision a world where resources and sustainable technologies are utilized to provide each person and all living creatures the very best of what the planet has to offer. I thought that was really great. Like That is like a great like personal mission statement, value statement, you know, really, it is about that service to others, that reciprocity of where uh, we get a lot from other people um, in their contribution, the presence, the energy, resources that educate us and connect us to the broader public and the world. And it's important to give back. And I really appreciate the way that you speak about yourself and your work in that way. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, I was thinking one of the, a great thing would be great to have for Oklahoma City would be a theater, large theater, acoustically sound theater environment built for recording. Mm-hmm. So both video and or film and right. and and sound. So um, if somebody wanted to do a music video or a live performance, uh, you know, album and video, they could book that space and. People could right. come in and be part of the audience for that. Mm-hmm. That could be like a destination for musicians to come to if it was really built right and, you know, it was really, you know, well done. Absolutely. I can think of a few entities that um, um, I believe would be committed and have been doing some great work like that. That I think that's incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, Lawrence, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I know that. Um, you're doing incredible work. Um, and I can't wait for the listeners to learn more about the gallery, learn more about um, the vision you have for your artwork, and to connect in the conversation that um, hopefully we will continue to have together, but also with other people throughout the community. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Can't wait to have you back. Thanks. Yakoki, thank you for joining us. Timber People is brought to you by the Possibilities Podcast Platform.